what is fairer than day. And by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore we shall sing on that beautiful shore melodious songs of bliss and our spirits shall sorrow no more not a sigh for the blessing of rest in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise for the glorious gift of His love and the blessings that hallow our days in the sweet by and shall meet on the beautiful shore in the sweet by and by we shall meet on that beautiful shore Heavenly Father with all that we are heart, soul, mind and strength we praise you we ask that you set us free, free from eyes focused on ourselves, and free with ears open to hearing your word. You have made us free from the chains of sin, free from the chains of our society that does not honor the name of your Son. We are blessed to have the freedom of to worship with abundant joy, to love as freely as you loved us. Our thoughts reach out toward you this very moment that we may fulfill your commandment to love you and to love your Son, our Savior, with all that we are. We worship you, no longer chained by what we possess, but bound by what we can share through Jesus, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
two weeks ago, my message focused on God's priority for your life. Do you remember what that was? In case you can't remember what God's priority for your life is, I'll say it again today. God's priority for your life is that you become more and more like Jesus. It's good for us to remember that God wants us to use Jesus as our example for daily living. Not only during the holiday seasons, but every day. And why? Because we live in a culture where money is king and the name of Jesus is not honored and often disallowed. This Sabbath, this Sabbath day, I want to take a look at an amazing portion of scripture that the Apostle Peter wrote to help believers understand who they are in a world where the name of Jesus is not honored. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 17, Peter used a series of metaphors to illustrate who followers of Jesus are. And taken as a whole, they paint a portrait that tells us what being a follower of Jesus is according to the mind of God. It's a picture that we would do well to remember as we move full bore into the holiday season. The first picture, or word picture, the first metaphor. You know, in English class, we call them metaphors. Pastors often use the term word picture. Peter uses this first picture to liken a believer to a newborn baby. In the previous chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter wrote, like newborn babies, in the previous chapter, back in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, verse 23, it's in, I think it's here. Yes, Eunice, a call to worship, inside the bulletin. Peter wrote, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Peter wrote that a believer is born again. Obviously, it's a metaphor. It's not a physical birth. Rather, being born again is a deep internal change in the way your personality functions. It's a radical change, empowered by the Holy Spirit within you that causes you to effectively become a new person. And this is something that Jesus himself said must happen. In fact, he even told one of the leading Pharisees of his day, a man named Nicodemus, that being born again is indispensable. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus unless you have been born again. And obviously, we aren't born again with the understanding and character of a mature Christian. That's not how being born again works. 
When we are born again, we are like a newborn baby, weak, vulnerable. Above all, we need to grow spiritually. Peter understood this, so he wrote that you must grow up in your salvation. 1 Peter chapter, one, chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. These are some baby characteristics <laughs> that we need to get rid of. And we can get rid of these bad characteristics by having the right spiritual diet. So a condition for spiritual growth is having the right diet. But it's not food for the body that Peter talks about. It's food for the mind. We read in verse 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk. Crave the words of Scripture. Crave them. He calls it the milk of the word. So that's our first metaphor. We're likened to newborn babies. The second word picture Peter uses is very different. Peter moves from the world of biology to the world of construction. He writes in verses 4 and 5 this, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He writes that Jesus is the living stone and that we are like living stones. But we aren't part of a building made of bricks and mortar. No, Peter was writing about the church of the living God made up of the people of God. The living stones are the church. The living stones of the church are what? The people. The people of the church are the living stones of the church. And Peter knew who the cornerstone was. The cornerstone of the church is Jesus. Peter wrote that we become members of the church by coming to the cornerstone who is the living stone. And then we too, if we come to the living stone, can become living stones. We must come to the primary, the living stone. And then we together can be built into a spiritual house. And then in verses 6 through 8, Peter chose some verses from the books of Isaiah and the Psalms that deal with the subjects of rocks and stones. He wrote, for in scripture it says, see, I see, I, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in, in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. 
and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. When I read these verses, I have to ask myself, what does Jesus mean to me? Do I stumble and fall over the words of Jesus? Is Jesus the foundation whom I am building my life upon? So Peter has likened us to newborn babies with the duty to grow up. And then he likened us to living stones with the, dirty, with the duty to love and support one another, a church body of living stones. Next, Peter uses a third word picture that is a little difficult for some people to fathom. Peter wrote in verse 9 and also in verse 5. He used the same term. He wrote that a follower of Jesus is chosen, part of a holy nation. He said that we are holy priests. He wrote, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. What was he talking about? Didn't Peter know that the priesthood was restricted to the tribe of Levi, the Jewish priesthood. Didn't he know that regular people bring their sin offerings to a priest? Aren't the priests the ones who present sin offerings to God? That's what many people in the church the so-called Christian church in this world teaches? Well, it seems to me very clear in Scripture that any religion with a special group of priests who alone can speak to God for the common people is a religion way out of line with what the Bible teaches. In the church, Jesus is the cornerstone. We do not need a priest to speak to God for us. Rather, each member of the church has access to God through Jesus. All of us can offer up the spiritual sacrifice of worship. We are individual believers who are individual priests, according to Scripture. And we can offer up our individual spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God because of the mercy granted to us through Messiah Jesus. Verse 9 also gives us a fourth metaphor. Not only are we like newborn babies with a duty to grow up and living stones with the duty to support one another in fellowship and holy priests who can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Messiah Jesus, but we are also God's own people, a holy nation, his special possession. We are God's special possession. This is a remarkable expression because these were the words used by Moses 
to describe what God said to Israel back in Exodus chapter 19. But here in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter with great confidence lifts the words right out of the book of Exodus and he applies them to us. Peter says, the followers of Jesus are what Israel used to be, a holy nation, a special possession. We have been chosen to declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter wasn't done with the metaphors. He continued with a fifth word picture. In verse 11, he urges the followers of Jesus as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage against the soul. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. So wait just a second. How can we be foreigners and exiles? That's easy. A believer has dual citizenship. That's right. Our primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God. Our secondary citizenship is in the birth country of your heritage, your country of birth. Our primary allegiance has changed. And now because we have a higher citizenship, we are also called to be holy so that the world around us will see God's ways through the way we live our lives. And then God's name will be praised. Peter had just described the lives of believers using five different metaphors, five different word pictures. But he wasn't done yet. (laughs) He had a sixth metaphor. After saying that believers are like newborns with the responsibility to grow. After saying that believers are like living stones with the responsibility for fellowship. After saying that believers are holy priests who can worship God directly. After saying that believers are God's own special possession with the responsibility to represent Him before the world. After saying that a believer's primary citizenship is in the kingdom of God. After saying all that... Peter had another word picture to describe a believer that we would do well to consider. You see, God doesn't expect us to sit back on our salvation and await for the return of Jesus. He he doesn't expect us to sit back and wait for him to undo all the injustice in the world. Peter's last picture in this portion of scripture is that a believer is to live as God's slave. In the Greek it's doulos, a servant, an indentured servant. 
Peter wrote, live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. So he juxtaposes freeness with being a slave. Wow. In order, in other words, we are to live as conscientious servants, show respect to all people. We are on a pilgrimage and we are held to the same standards that Jesus held when he walked this earth. Nevertheless, despite all that we should do as God's servants, we are still primarily pilgrims traveling on our way home to God. Our heavenly citizenship trumps our earthly citizenship and profoundly changes the way we view everything that our godless culture views as important. Peter wrote in verse 21, and I love this verse, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Verse 21 tells us that Jesus is our example. We should be doing what he did, following in his steps. Our attitude toward money and the way we view possessions should be diametrically different from the way the godless culture around us views them. I said it earlier, we are on a pilgrimage, pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. This brief period of 80 or 90 or 100 years. And indeed, our understanding of tragedy our understanding of suffering is rooted in the perspective of eternity. We view things differently. We celebrate when a loved brother or sister moves on into eternity future. And we are called to live holy lives in preparation for the holy presence of our Father in heaven. And we can't comprehend what he has in store for us. First Peter chapter 2 gives us a wonderful portrait of a disciple. It's a beautiful portrait summarizing what we should be. We are called to worship and to work for the kingdom and to be witnesses for God as individuals and as a corporate body. We are called to be pilgrims with our primary citizenship in God's kingdom yet we are called to submit ourselves to the authority of the government where we live as part of our pilgrimage so that God's name will be praised. After considering this portrait, let us determine, let us determine to be better disciples, to be more like Jesus. May this be our desire as we move forward in the nation of Jesus. Our citizenship is in the nation of Jesus, our primary citizenship. Now, I have one more additional point to make today. 
something that's near and dear to me. The words from Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. Sometimes we, some Christians like to couple this with um, verses out of Genesis chapter 1, where you can read that God commissioned humanity to rule over the earth and to subdue it. These verses taken together have been used to make it seem as though God has relinquished his authority, his ownership of this earth that he has handed it over to humankind to use whatever means we come up with to extract its resources to be used to enhance our comfort. Well, do you recall Psalm 24, verse 1? The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So who's in charge of the earth? Is it God's earth, earth or he, did he give it to us? Is there a contradiction here? No, there is not. Because the Bible tells us about three different fundamental relationships that involve humanity. The first relationship is to God himself. We are created in his image. And Jesus came to this earth to teach us God's ways. Jesus said, if you know me, then you know my father. Yes, the first relationship is to God himself. We are created in his image. Second, we are created to be in relationship with each other. Do you, you recall that humanity was created plural <laughs> in the beginning? And number three, we are created to be in relationship with this beautiful earth. And this includes all of its creatures over which we have been placed. So my question is, what should our attitude be toward the earth? Very familiar verse for many of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whatever we do in word or deed... We should do to the glory of God. This tells me clearly that God has not handed the earth to humankind in such a way to give up his rights over the earth. But he has given us the responsibility to preserve and develop the earth on his behalf. He has not given us the go-ahead to exploit the earth. We cannot use Genesis chapter 1 as justification for arrogant environmental irresponsibility. It's true that God commissioned humankind to rule over the earth. But people who use our commission as the earth's caretakers are wrong when they use humanity's responsibility, humanity's position as justification to damage the earth. God expects 
humanity to be responsible stewards. There is no justification in Scripture for humanity, humanity, humanity to be destructive in nature. As stewards of God's creation, we are called to conserve the environment. We are also called to develop the earth's resources for the common good, certainly. Those who get the opportunity to work within nature to transform a portion of this earth have a noble calling. The way we extract and use the resources of nature for the benefit of humankind is an expression of our relationship to our God and our love for him. Now, I know that you and I are not capable to, we're not able, we may be capable, we're not able to significantly influence the major environmental crises that now threaten the earth. We can't lower the world's exploding population that has now exceeded 7.9 billion people. You can look these up. I looked them up last night. 7.9 billion people. That's a staggering number. Each day, approximately 385,000 new babies are born in this world. Each day, there are approximately 165,000 deaths for a net increase worldwide of 200,000 people per day. The net result is that about 73 million people will be added to the world's population in 2021. Wow. Staggering problem. I don't know how to address it. You and I also can't control the depletion of the Earth's resources. And we don't have control over waste disposal. In 2020, last year, in the USA, there was over 160 billion pounds of trash put into landfills. I can't imagine that much garbage. That's a lot of garbage. It's a real problem. And we're also faced with increasing air pollution which many scientists believe are creating to all kinds of climate concerns. But that does all this mean, because it's outside of our control, that there's nothing you can do? That's not true. There is something that you can do. You can choose to use sustainable forms of energy where possible, you can switch off unneeded appliances. You can buy food and services as much as possible from companies that practice responsible environmental policies. That means don't buy anything from Monsanto, ever. You can recycle as much as possible. And perhaps the biggest thing that you can do to be a good steward of this earth is in the way, is in a way that is very pleasing to God, and this is what it is. Avoid overconsumption and unnecessary waste. Don't add to that 160 
billion pounds of trash, anything unnecessary. Don't become part of the problem. Do you know how to get to 160 billion? You start at one. One plus one plus one. As each individual in this world throws away more and more garbage, the land fills are filling up. So that's what we can do as an individual. Be pleasing in God's sight. Your care of God's creation reflects your love for the Creator. From the book of Deuteronomy. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. May our lives show that we really mean what we say when we call ourselves followers of Jesus. May our lives truly be in a loving relationship with our Father in heaven, with one another, and with planet earth. The home that we are so blessed to call our own. We are indeed blessed as humankind. And so may God bless you and your families as we move forward as the nation of Jesus.